On today's episode of Dr. MomCast, Dr. Marla Shapiro is going to talk to us about sleep. It's one of the cheapest, easiest, most legal performance-enhancing drugs on the planet. We hit topics such as daylight savings time, school start times, the teenage brain on sleep, and how to wind down at night. And the goal is to land the plane, not crash into the island of sleep. We are parents, friends, and women supporting women in science. We are real science, real moms, real life. This is Dr. MomCast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. Marla Shapiro here with some of my favorite sports neuropsychologist colleagues to talk about kids, sports, health, safety, and anything else that comes up tonight. I'm Dr. Alyssa Wicklin. I'm Dr. Beth Piras. Dr. Summer Ott. I'm Dr. Sonia Mosh. And Dr. Lisa Nipple-Baka. Sweet. Well, we all love and don't get enough of, right? Let's talk about its effect on cognition. Let's talk about its effect on emotion. We'll talk briefly about it in regards to athletes. Dr. Shapiro is board certified in behavioral sleep medicine. So she's an actual expert on this. I developed a newfound passion for sleep and all things related to sleep because it is, it's one of the cheapest, easiest, most legal performance on the planet and something we all take so for granted. And I have been truly gobsmacked by what a difference it makes when we help people sleep better. So first question I have for you, Dr. Shapiro, is why does daylight saving time, does it matter? So it was funny because in anticipating this question might come up, I was doing a little consultation with our favorite person, Dr. Google, trying to figure out where did it come from? The assumption is, well, it's better for the economy or it's better for farmers. Honestly, I don't really know. I was talking to a physician colleague last year about the increasing number of medical associations pushing for a permanent switch to standard time. And I'm telling him the science behind it. He's like, well, I don't care. I just like it better because we have more light at night to do stuff. And it's funny because it doesn't give us more light. It's not like we can suddenly create more hours of sunlight in the day, shifting the clock. It just changes when we're exposed to that light. And when I look at the preponderance of data, there is no financial, no health-related reason to keep permanent daily savings time other than, gee, I like it later, late at night, and we don't have to use the baseball lights as early. I mean, there's no logical reason. I'll add to that too. Last year, there was an international sleep conference, and it was during that time that somebody snuck into, I think, the Senate, um, the Sunshine Protection Act, to make daylight savings time permanent across the country. And the joke was, you have every leading sleep researcher in the U.S. leave the country, and that's when they decide to pass that. This goes all the way to the top. And, and when... Our state legislature here in Iowa was proposing a bill to accept permanent daylight savings time. Nobody could explain the science of it. All I heard was, well, the other states are doing it, but there's a preponderance of data arguing against it. So you want me to opine on that? I would love to. Well, I always think it's interesting because they talk about, okay, so you have an extra hour at night, but then it's earlier in the morning. And, you know, and there's research talking about how we'd have more kids driving to school, there's more kids being hit by cars, there's more kids being in accidents because they're tired and they're driving in the dark. So there's a cost, right? I, there's only so much time. You don't, you don't make more hours of light. And I think that's really important. My kid this morning came down and said, hey, mom, I felt like I woke up so much easier this morning because it was light whenever I woke up. And so that too can be said about when you wake up, is it dark and cold and you want to crawl back into bed or is it light and sunshine? So I thought that was an interesting reaction she already had as a teen. 
I've always thought she was brilliant myself, even though I don't work very well. But true, <laughs> we're biologically wired to be awake during daylight hours. Let's face it. If we had been wired to be awake at night when we couldn't see predators, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. So we are biologically wired to be awake during light. Light is our master on switch in our brain. The sun comes up and whether we feel perky or not, we have a natural instinctive urge to turn on. We have no off switch, but light is our on switch. And we have enough trouble with kids being on a slightly different circadian rhythm or hormonal clock. But when you have people waking up in darkness, they don't have that natural on switch around you, which makes it hard to be alert. It makes it harder to see where you're going. And there is a real health related risk. So it's not just how much sleep you get, the timing of it related to our internal clocks. Does that make sense? It does. And it's a great segue to something that's related to that, Marla, is the issue of school start time. We're all moms and we all drag our kids out of bed to get to school. My children are in high school and every Wednesday they have late start. And every Wednesday I think, why is this not every year? What are your kids' school start times for high school and middle school? My kids have to get up at 6.15. No, and I have this boys. I have boys who are like, you know, barely caught my hair and I got the door. They're at the bus at 6.40. That's a normal day. So they get about, in a, an elite start, it's about two hours more. And so I think one of the things that I'd love to hear more about from you, Marla, is talking about that biological shift because we can't get teenagers to go to bed at 9 o'clock. There's a couple parts to this. I mean, and, and the fact that your kids are getting up that early is the norm. The majority of schools across the U.S. start well before 8.30. But there are an increasing number of medical organizations have been calling for middle schools and high schools to start you know, earlier than 8.30 in the morning because of these factors. And can talk more about that because there are really no negative sides to it. A fifth of U.S. high school students last time they were surveyed are getting at least eight hours of sleep. National Sleep wow. Foundation recommends eight to 10 hours of sleep for kids. So four-fifths of our nation's teens are not getting enough sleep. Wow. Um, when you push back school start times to 8.30 or later, it's estimated that maybe half of all teenagers will then get enough sleep. That is huge. When you think about millions and millions of dollars that are wasted on health issues, people mm -hmm. getting sick more often, drowsy driving accidents, school performance, suicide, depression, so many things, the costs are extraordinary. Well, not only because those costs kind of erased, we could save an average of almost $9 billion annually in costs just by pushing back school start time. So if we can make kids healthier wow, and save money. Astonishing. It's, it is astonishing. Yeah. So again, light is our on switch. When we wake up in the morning, yes, light is supposed to alert us, but our bodies start to naturally produce hormones that build throughout the day to gradually increase our sleep drive or our need for sleep. So that in a perfect world, if everything works well, when it's time for us to go to bed, our need for sleep is so physiologically great, we fall asleep. That's not true for probably our third of this country at least, but I digress. So, but what happens is during the teenage years, because of all the hormonal changes, that sleep drive accumulates more slowly. So there are about a two hour shift relative to adults. So whereas most adults might be starting to feel tired or be ready for bed around 10 p.m. or so, teenage brains, young adult brains are operating on about a two hour delay. So two hour delay with delay. Uh, later. So they're going to want to fall asleep later. Falling asleep later, that means they're more likely to wake up or be alert later. Most adults get sleepy around 10. I mean, I, thanks to my mother, who I can blame for most things, I'm a hardcore night owl. My body functions more like a teenager's in that way. I could be up till one, two, easy peasy. 
So for me, it's a fight to go to bed at normal adulting hours, but most adults are going to start feeling sleepy, ready to go to bed, 10 o'clock or so. Teenagers, but stay up later. Is that trained over time? So you said you're a night owl and that's just sort of how you've always operated. So does your body adapt hormonally then so that you are a night owl? I have to fight not to be one. Okay. So that's your natural proclivity. That is my, that's your body my, wants to be up later. Yes. And I blame my mother like any attribute I don't like. Can I ask but, a question about our teenagers who are staying yeah. up very late with their phones and their tablets and their iPads? Does that light activate the same part of the brain as the sun? Well, think about it. Light is our on switch. So anytime you take these small light emitting devices and put them close to your face, it's going to make it harder for them to wind down to go to sleep. We have this circadian rhythm that corresponds to a 24-ish hour cycle. Light comes on. But as evening draws near and light starts to change and dim, that triggers physiological processes. Our body starts to naturally produce melatonin hours and hours before bed. There are physiological changes that are going on that are triggered by changes in light. Basically, you got light close to your eyes that ain't going to help. But not just that. It's an alerting thing too. Kids are into their social media. They're paying attention. They're bopping mm -hmm. off TikTok. So is it the light? Is it what they're doing on the device? Is it that they're interacting with other people? Is it that they're doing those activities in their beds, which is incompatible with sleep? All of those things just with Marla. I am laughing. Insta, Facebook, Pinterest, watch a show at the same time, and I sleep very well. Well, is it possible that you're falling asleep anyway because your body is so starved for sleep? Your brain must associate lying curled in bed with sleep. So when people read, watch TV, their brain's like, what are we doing? Are we sleeping? Are we watching TV? What are we doing here? So back to the melatonin. Like I said, our bodies start to produce melatonin naturally several hours before bedtime. And you know, I'm quick to say, ah, oh, melatonin sucks. And I throw it out every bottle in my house. But there are good uses for it, especially if you're working with some of our athletes that are dealing with time zone travel and jet lag and other things. Judicious use of small doses of melatonin can be very helpful. That said, there was a great paper maybe six years ago where someone took all brands of melatonin because it's, you know, it's over the counter, it's unregulated. And they looked at what was in the bottles. Was it just melatonin, but also what was the dosage of what was in the bottles compared to what was on the label? And after reading that, that's when I threw away all our bottles. Besides the fact that they found other things like serotonin in these bottles, there was mm. also tremendous variability in how much melatonin, from 75 or 80% to four times the dosage. And so that kind of variability is really disconcerting. I laugh because it's like you're taking it 30 minutes before bed, huh? and it's working, it's great. And is it really the melatonin? From a biochemical standpoint, I don't think so. But when they take it, there's the relief. And the drop in anxiety, knowing they'll sleep. And anxiety mm -hmm. is the ugly flip side of sleep. The sleep is the mm -hmm. ultimate relaxation. So the more we can calm people down, aka wind them down, the more mm -hmm. likely they are to drop off to sleep. So you can give them a sugar pill and probably have the same effect. But that's why I'm quick to say ditch the melatonin, especially because the other stuff we can do better. Do you mention some wind down strategies? I'm so curious. Yeah. But I still lie. Did you know? that wine is, and especially red wine, is high in histamine. So for a lot of people, the proverbial red wine, two, three glasses of red wine in the evening can actually disrupt sleep or make it harder to fall asleep or stay asleep. You had me until you said that. 
But I know. I was with I was with you till that part, and now I'm like I don't know. I don't know if she knows. She she was it's like a lot of things. You know, different bodies tolerate different things. So oh, we know alcohol affects run sleep too. So that's yeah. an issue. People will drink alcohol to wind down, and then they pay for it because the quality of their sleep is impaired. It tends to wake you up after you fall asleep, which is generally not a good thing. The light functions as our on switch, but we don't have an on switch and off switch. And the goal is to land the plane, not crash into the island of sleep. And so. Things that we do to quiet and to try to deactivate are really important. And so just as our babies, kids, we had these routines, give them a warm bath, some story time, massage to kind of wind them down. Our big kid brains, brains of all ages, need that same sort of thing. So thinking about circadian rhythms and relaxing stuff. So the proverbial, oh, I'm going to study, 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 study. Okay, try to go to bed. Well, that doesn't work because you've been so alert. Unless you're dead dog tired, it doesn't work. So generally talk about the hour before bedtime. And again, thinking about the time at which somebody's going to bed. Is it appropriate for their age, stage, whatever? So up to that hour before bedtime, unless they're like you know, doing competitive sports or other stuff, I don't care if kids are on screens or adults for up to an hour before bed, but that hour before bedtime is the wind down time. So it's literally, okay, it's time to chillax. It doesn't mean pick up screens. It means find something relaxing. Thought we were it friends, be- Marla. No, no. Thought we were yes. friends. Like a She's such a buzzkill tonight, Marla. Really? My one is here like choppy. Yeah. No, but, uh, but seriously, for me, my wind down is mostly chores. Like my, yes. you know, when I get up from my desk, I would go in the kitchen, I would make my lunch, I would put away the dishes, half my wind down were my chores, washing yeah. my face. That's when they clean their room. And that's when they, you know, they empty the dishwasher and they go laundry. I'm totally being sarcastic, people. I'm more productive than the wind down times. I know. Please. Please. How do we teach our children to wind down? They don't know what that means. And I think that's one of the things that we to teach kids is what does that mean to do something where information is not fed to you, right? That's their whole world is information fed to them. And how do we teach them that? Even a half hour of winding down, thinking about something else, doing something motoric so your brain can kind of process. That's, I think any parent out there is going to understand this challenge. And so part of it is, what are we modeling? Guilty parent included. Some kids like watching TV. I'm like, fine. Instead of Netflix on your phone, could you go into the living room and at least watch the screen across the room? You know, I'm not going to remove electronics completely, but let's get them out of bed. When we were younger and our parents wouldn't let us set clear the TV because we'd ruin our eyesight. No, we'd go blind. They were right. My eyes are terrible. (laughs) Is there the same effect with audio? So, for example, could Summer have Siri read the Instagram or Twitter feed to her? Or... Well, I think it's a legitimate question that comes up a lot because everything is on a screen, right? You tell your child, I want you to read before bed. Well, they don't have textbooks. Everything's on their computer or it's on their reading device. So what are your thoughts on audio? I mean, question. You like audio books. I I have to do something. Like I love the tangible book in my hand and audio book, my mind wanders. I need to look at it. Mm -hmm. I don't like listening to it. But if somebody wants to just, sit in a chair, twirl their thumbs or knit or crochet. Mm-hmm. Listen, who cares? Oh, my kids crochet. are really into crocheting. I love it. I But it is hard, especially for active guys. Mm-hmm. If you're watching TV on the couch, 
that's not so bad as long as you don't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. I have people make crafts, stuff. There's chores and stuff you can do. Kids don't necessarily want to, but but then think about it. If they shower at night, they can pick out what they're going to wear to school, maybe make their own lunches or pack their bags, get their sports gear together, shower. That's a wind down routine. It's all your preparation for bed and it's stuff you do. So that's not Mm -hmm. so bad. You're blowing my mind here. I thought wind down means you sit, you have your chamomile tea. I I did not realize that you can still be moving and thinking and doing. I really didn't. I'm I'm being sincere. So that is is so helpful to know that the wind Mm -hmm. down can be preparing for the day. I thought I was Mm -hmm. supposed to just sit and it's quiet and I'm not moving. So I, mm-hmm. I'm learning. This is fantastic. Funny the things we take for granted. Right? Right. One of the lists I got from one of my insomnia treatment training classes had like crazy stuff like ironing. Like, I don't even think I have an iron. But, but yeah, it can be moving, but you mm. want some consistency. Like if my dog eats at 7.30 at night, I could be at my desk in my home office until 10 p.m., get up, move around, he doesn't stir. But if I get off the couch anytime within two hours of dinner time, and go close to my pantry, he goes bonkers thinking he's tiny. You know, so if we can train him, surely we can train ourselves. And so they're all times, right? But but you know, so routines can be okay. It's training ourselves, it's time to wrap up the day. And mm-hmm. for me, there was something almost satisfying, even though it's chore like of cleaning up my kitchen, getting taken care of stuff, getting ready for bed. It was my cueing myself, it's time to go to bed. Thing though, it's very normal to have a bad night's sleep sometimes. If you can't sleep during the night to revert back to your evening things, does that mean you have to add more housework? Oh, no. Some part of TV is often my wind down time, especially if it's really good new Christmas movie at Hallmark season. I love that. It's my schmaltz, by the way. Can I say, can we say that Marla's Jewish and her favorite pastime is watching Hallmark? I love that. We actually have Hallmark bingo. We have bingo cards that I have made with all the shit out. Hallmark. It would make a great sponsor. Hallmark would make a yes. great sponsor. My cable provider has three more Hallmark channels. That is how I think that. Yeah. And HGTV. So the flip side. Anything to me is my my guilty pleasure. And my husband keeps saying, why is our house look like this? When you watch all this HGTV. I wanted to just chime in on Marla's tips about winding down strategies. I find that it's actually been helpful. We call it a brain dump technique. You just have a notebook by your bed on your nightside table. And just a low light on, not the big overhead light. Dump whatever's in your brain on the paper. It's like removing the cognitive load from up here. So whatever's swimming around, that's going to cause that latent anxiety when you're laying down. Remove it, dump it onto the paper. Sometimes it ends up to be almost like a journal or stream of consciousness stuff, but sometimes it's to-do list stuff, right? Like, I didn't finish this today. Crap, this is due tomorrow. So for college students or grad students, that can be a super helpful way to mitigate the anxiety that creeps up when you're laying in bed. It's awesome. And I'm so glad you brought that up because it's such a great point, but I'd like to tweak it. Yeah, because please. bed is for sleep and other stuff um, that adults would do in bed. You take your proverbial sheet of paper, divide uh-huh. it in half, and on the left side, I call it your worry side. And it's kind of that verbal vomit or brain dump, whatever you want to call it, but uncensored yep. every single thing on your mind. Yeah. No censoring, no filtering, whether it's good, bad, ugly, and what. When you are done and there's nothing left, you've emptied brain. The other side, you can call it to do, action, whatever. And then you go item by item. And what are you going to do about it? So, oh, this is stupid. Cross it off. Or good point. 
put it in my plan or do a sticky, whatever. But you literally go through that. Ideally, the timing is before wind down. So if mm -hmm. it's a day and people that tend to worry or ruminate know it's been one of those days, it's like, okay, I'm going to dump that. I'm done. Now it's time to put away my day and start to wind down. And is I like there a teenage version um, of that. It could be drawing. It could be um, notes. It could be whatever helps. If somebody wants to draw their worries or craft yeah. their worries, do that brain dump. And so like you said, I think that's perfect. Do it before the wind down because mm -hmm. there's that metaphorical aspect of putting the day away. Mm -hmm. Another thing that comes up a lot with students who are living in dorms or our military folks who are in barracks, their personal space is only their bed. You know, they don't have the luxury of having like a little lounge chair to do their journaling at the end of the night and brain dump. So one of the things that we suggest is to actually shift the position so you're not in the usual position of where your head is oh, towards the headboard. Absolutely. Switch the other way and go perpendicular and sit up in the bed and write that way so that you're always associating that horizontal position with your head by the headboard, associating that with sleep and the other things that adults do in that position. So I've had college students give themselves the pillow thingies on the floor, but you're yeah. right. Reposition on top of the covers facing the other way so that you're not associating with sleep. So you're not associating with that yeah. laying down position. Because sometimes like people don't have that, you know, you're in a little dorm and a bunk bed kind of situation. You don't have Sweet. really Sweet. a lot of other places. Yeah. Well, same thing it's with bringing the latrine. Do a double yeah. dump. That's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> every show, Baco. What's out? <laughs> I know moms do speak to our shows. Oh, my God. Yes. Maybe we'll do like oh, a greenhouse episode. There you go. Talk about oh, poop. Crap. There you go. Look, I don't want to talk about it. All right. So we went into this, and some it's near and dear to all of our hearts, and, and the mental health consequences of lack of sleep and sleep disturbance. Now, like for adults, for kids, Marla, you always talk about it, late, low hanging fruit, which I love the concept of. This is something that we can actually control because there's so many moms and dads listening that are struggling with mental health issues in their children or themselves, how does sleep impact mental health? I was talking with someone about a school mental health center that opened not long ago. Their mission is to address, reduce teen student suicide and depression. And I said, mm. great, let me send you some stuff on sleep. And I saw on this individual several months later and I said, oh, so do you have a chance to look at it? And she's like, Marla, I know sleep is really a big deal for you. We can focus on the really important stuff first. And I was speechless there was an adolescent sleep summit looking at these issues and there is absolutely no question that there is a direct relationship between rates of suicide depression not enough sleep but i want you to, i want you to say that again i think that's really there's important clear-cut undeniable relationship between insufficient sleep and rates of suicide and depression in teenagers period mm. mic drop end of discussion it, for, you know, why I'm so passionate about school start times, because we take kids, the vast majority of our nation's teens aren't getting enough sleep. You push back school start times to 830. And by the way, don't sneak in the 5 a.m. swim before that. Suddenly, half or more of our teenagers are getting enough sleep. I used to think, well, of course, they're not sleeping. They're depressed or they're anxious. They have PTSD, nightmares. Somebody died. They're menopausal, whatever. Throw it all out. Let's go back to talking about crap. It doesn't apply. And that if you treat sleep disorders or insufficient sleep or not enough sleep, insomnia, disrupted sleep, 
you will improve mental health. You'll reduce anxiety, depression, suicide, all those things. And if caring about our kids' mental health isn't really enough, let's look at it from a dollars and cents perspective. The doom and gloom predictions of how expensive it will be to change school start times, it goes away. The cost savings, as I mentioned, an annual savings of $9 billion. But even if you look at adults, there was a survey of using health and human services data a few years ago looking at incremental health care costs associated with various illnesses, whether it was heart attack, other cardiovascular stuff, breast cancer, whatever. And because of the way this study was constructed, they really lowballed the prevalence of sleep disorders. We know, for example, a third of Americans don't get enough sleep, third of adults. The people that qualified for the study, there was a, a prevalence rate of only 5% of any kind of sleep disorder. So really low-ball how common it is. Yet, they also documented with the associated healthcare costs were over $94 billion a year. Wow. So we're so going to claim the numbers higher, right? Look at the money we can save, not to mention the extraordinary impact we can have on health for kids and adults. Drowsy driving accidents alone can be affected, improved by delayed school start times, kids sleeping. But there's so many demands. I was working with a teenager a couple weeks ago who came to me for reevaluation. I'd evaluated them several years ago, and there were some concerns about anxiety and school performance. And this teenager was getting up routine at six in the morning. It was still, it would be like us getting up at 4 a.m. is how that feels to a teenager. And mm -hmm. partly because there's traffic, they got to drive to schools. And there's a club that meets at 7.15. I said, Do you, can you meet another day? No, no, we get together at Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. The, there was a social component. Parents are the key to saying no, because this kid was not old enough to drive. And yet as parents, we want to see our kids with friends. We want to see them with the good friends. We want a swim team. What a great team sport. Practices at five. Well, honey, you're just going to have to work harder to get up. I mean, the decisions and the pressures on us as parents are so hard. But for me, sleep. It is a no-brainer. Because of what I know, my daughter was truly the salmon swimming upstream in high school. And I remember her going to a science teacher and saying, well, do you think I can handle such and such class? And he left, he said, not with your bedtime. Because it was well known that if you host homework after 9 p.m., my child wasn't going to see it because mommy made her turn off electronics. Yeah. Ah, think about our colleges. You can take classes that start as early as 7.45 a.m. Homework deadlines are midnight. Having exams past 9 o'clock at night but there's posters on mental health everywhere. So it's easy for me to say, gosh, this is low hanging fruit, but the pressures on our kids are real. And as parents, I want my kid to fit in. I want her to play that sport. And that's mm -hmm. the politics of the lives our, our kids lead. I do want to also add too, for all the parents to maybe listening that have effort, because we are all sports neuropsychologists, there's very clear data that lack of sleep also correlates to re reduction in performance of sport. So all the special coaching you're paying for getting your kid up early, you may be paying for the cost. And there's also increased rates of injury. There's a direct correlation with higher rates of injury and lack of sleep. So you may have a season ending or sport ending career injury simply because the person's not sleeping. Not so, only that, you see significantly decreased injury rates for youth athletes that sleep more than eight hours. There's some studies that are looking at direct effects on sport-specific skills. So that's a whole nother podcast episode. Mm -hmm. like, I, I want to make sure that people understand that the effects of sleep are so broad from financial and like you said, done such a beautiful job explaining to us. But there's a class for athletes as well. Can our kids catch up on sleep? Well, of course, they're not getting sleep 
And then personally, my son could sleep till one, two in the afternoon on a Saturday. Is he catching up? You know, I'm going to say yes and no to everything. So sleep is not like a savings account. You make all these deposits and they add up for the most part. We go through the sleep cycle several times during the night. But what is really important to know is that we spend disproportionately more of our time in the first two thirds of the night in the stages of sleep that are most important for physical health and functioning. But it's the last third of the night where we spend proportionally more of our quality time in the REM sleep that is so important for emotional health, mental health, attention, memory learning, and so forth. So when you have truncated sleep, you are missing out on really critical stages for learning memory, emotional functioning. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell folks with anxiety, you struggle with anxiety, attention problems, the, the oxymoronic aspect of staying up late to study, they're the last people on the planet who can afford to be sleep deprived, period. That said, you can do some mitigating stuff. There was an interesting study a couple of years ago that said maybe if teenagers can sleep at least eight hours, which is not enough for most, maybe a short nap in the afternoon or a little catch up on the weekend can help them. So I think like, like all things, some balance is okay. If kids are getting up at 6.15 every weekday, but they can sleep till one in the afternoon on weekends, that's a little too extreme. That's not good. Napping, also we haven't talked about that and how that can really derail sleep, but a short 15, 20 minute power nap isn't so bad to kind of give people a boost in the afternoons, especially before a game or to help them perk up for studying. But I think the catch up is better than nothing, but can mess with sleep habits during the week and you're not getting the same benefit. For someone who's healthy, active, not prone to catching colds, COVID, viruses, struggling with mental health or sports injuries, they're getting away with it. But not everybody can. And that's the challenge. And to me, if someone is struggling with mood, I'm not going to think first, oh, let's get them some Prozac. Let's look at sleep. Let's look at exercise. Let's look at these other things. Different bodies have different needs and can take it in different ways. Does that help? Absolutely. Great explanation. I'm curious to know what do you pick up as the takeaways? So here's my litmus test to see if I delivered my message. I'm curious what points hammered home with y'all as moms and colleagues who work with athletes. And then let's see if I have anything else to add. So this sounds like one, one potato chip. So I want more and you're going to give it to us. I have my two boys. They are both hockey players. My middle schooler is at the bus stop at 7 a.m. A lot of times he's coming off the ice at 10 p.m. and then is up mm -hmm. at six. And mm -hmm. so I feel yucky about that. I'll be honest with you, even though you just told mm -hmm. me how terrible it is for him. And it's reassuring that the wind down time, like you said, mm -hmm. he is winding down. I didn't think he was winding down, but he is. He's coming home. He does a load of laundry every night. He takes a shower every night. This is one of my children. Don't look at me like I'm some kind of a saint. I know. I'm like, like wait, what? Does, oh, wait, is all in laundry? That's yeah. a whole podcast episode right there. He grabs my feet right? and then he goes <laughs> to bed. Feed your grapes. Yeah, exactly. No, but he, he does have these wind down routines that I've never thought of them like that. And let me interject too. I say an hour. Some people, again, if your habits are all really good, and this is why I love working with teenagers and athletes, because they want to stay up as late as possible and get as much of their lives as they can and sleep in in the mornings as much as possible. So I'm their friend in that regard. But if they can be really sacrosanct about bed is only for sleep and other routines, maybe they only need a half hour of wind down. But that wind down is important. And when they come home with the adrenaline rush of a great game or super practice or whatever, they need to wind down and that can take different shapes and forms. Mm -hmm. So Marla, for, for me, what I think as a parent of teenagers, 
I really like the sense of control here. I go, as a parent, there's something that I can do here that I can talk to my kids. I can look at these things and say, can I contribute to improve mental health and physical health, improve sports performance, whatever it's important to you as a parent? I think it's a really important take-home message for any parent who, we're all just trying to do our best, sure, people, right? I mean, we're all just trying to clear this out. So if I have any sense of control, because most of the time I feel like I've done, uh, I think it's a good thing. So I still appreciate the information that you gave just tonight, Marla. Well, and I would also, I want to put a plug for my behavioral sleep medicine colleagues. This is the fun part of my job because when I'm working with teen- teenagers are in my office or virtually, they clearly want to do something, whether they want to perform better or get their parents off their back, whatever it is. I love giving teenagers and kids the control. Education about sleep. Teens are way more fun, I'm sorry, than people our age because they want to do better. And once they understand the whys, they're like, oh. And then they have Mm. choices and they know what the consequences are of their choices. Your son, Lisa, if he has to get up early and that ring time, we got to make him as efficient as possible. Figure out, can we get in cat naps in the afternoons and how to give him some more bankable sleep time on weekends? I mean, those are highly motivated. So this is not only a way for us to have some control in our kids' lives, but to give them control over their lives by making healthy choices, which they don't always get as often as they want. I think about all the kids in my life that I've diagnosed with ADHD. Mm. How many sleep disorders, how much narcolepsy have I missed? I mean, that's a whole other conversation. PK of onset narcolepsy, which can present very much like depression and or ADHD. PK of onset of symptoms is fatigue. And so there's lots of stuff that I don't think we as professionals get that training, which is why I love this yep. opportunity to preach. I mean, talk to y'all. Our time is coming to the end here. And so I want to I, I talk about our takeaways. First of all, vote. Talk to legislature. Promote daylight savings time, bad. Save standard time, good. There's a website, savestandardtime.org, that has all kinds of data. And what's interesting is for a state to keep year-round daylight savings time, it literally takes an act of Congress. but a state doesn't need anybody's permission to revert back to your own standard time. Arizona does it. One other state does it. Though. Indiana. Yeah. Indiana. So that's fantastic. So I think parents, if you are inclined to lobby or talk, that's something you can do. Can talk you say people. that website again? Savestandardtime.org. And there's also a Start School Later website where there's materials that people can use to present to PTA superintendents and so forth to push for later school start times and data to support and good research to show, don't worry about the cost. People say, oh, it's too expensive. It pays in the end. I think that wind down, but helping your kids find a way to relax at night, that, you know, whether Wi-Fi is cut off or model, help them brainstorm, what can they do that's relaxing? Because in our hurry up world, do we take time to relax? Do we teach our kids that that is important? Speaking of sports, People that engage in moderate exercise sleep better. It's why we often see athletes who concussions sleep is disrupted because they're not as physically active. So whether it's 20 minutes of something brisk, I squeezed in a 20 minute bike ride before our call because I knew I had to do something today. We're all going to sleep better. I think that's really important. Um, Finding strategic ways for kids to sleep as late as possible in the morning. I would drive my daughter to middle school she would brush her hair in the car, eat her egg muffin. Was it ideal? No. Are we supposed to sit at a table and eat a nice taste, whatever? But I was eking out every bit of sleep. I, you know, so helping our kids in well, ways to do yep. that to the greatest extent possible. 
And one last thing too is, is morning light. Morning light is huge. So if it's dark when you wake up, and or some kids it is, especially certain times of year, bright indoor lights, you can buy bright indoor light bulbs. You can even buy glasses that the phototherapy, the push light in front of you that's helpful. 10 minutes outside is better than nothing at all, but exposure to light to help wake up is also really, really helpful too. Don't forget I, you want to land the plane that crashed into the I island of sleep. I can't take credit for that. I've, I have heard that somewhere. I don't remember where, but I love the phrase. It's fantastic. The t-shirt idea. Love it. It's, it's, it's on my list of t-shirt ideas already. Your mom has merch. Great job, Dr. Mario Shapiro. Absolutely. Appreciate your effort so much. And I think the listener can understand that this is a, a group who has a lot of knowledge that we are very excited to share. And so stay tuned. We will have a long list of things that we think are relevant and important for parents and kids. Thank you again for joining us. We are Dr. Momcast. See you soon.